Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey there, listeners. It's me, Jem. We just wanted to warn you that today's episode comes attached with a trigger warning. Rio and I will be discussing some issues such as trauma, PTSD, mental health issues, therapy, and even self-harm. Please be aware and stay safe, listeners. With that in mind, enjoy the episode. To our new listeners, welcome. To our old listeners, welcome back. Another episode of Magical Education awaits you, but first we would like to say a few words. Nitwit, blubber, oddment, tweak. Podcast nine and three quarters topic of the week is, why is Harry so angsty in the Order of the Phoenix? Hi listeners, I'm Jem, and this week I'm going to be arguing that the reason why Harry's so angsty is because he's suffering from PTSD. And I'm Rhea, and I'll be arguing that the reason Harry's so angsty is because he's possessed by Voldemort. Just briefly before we get into this episode, uh, I just want to apologise to all of our listeners. As you may have noticed or may not have noticed, uh, we went on hiatus, so we actually missed the episode that should have gone up on April 1st, our April Fool's Day special. (laughs) that wasn't the april fool's day joke us just not uploading an episode (laughs) well that is a funny joke (laughs) no we had an episode planned recorded we hadn't actually edited it yet but we're all set to put it up and then a bit of a crisis happened yeah that the episode i believe that the episode the april fool's special that we did is cursed because it took us three tries to actually get it like recorded and then bad things happen to you. I was fine. I'm free from the curse, so I'm not worried. But (laughs) (laughs) yeah, you actually pointed out to me, you said, oh no, I think it was um, someone else. Our cousin was talking to me and said, oh Rhea, so many awful things are happening to you. Did you break a mirror? And I had a moment of just, oh God, I did break a mirror. (laughs) So I'm cursed forever. The first time we recorded the episode, (laughs) it didn't work. I didn't have my mic turned on. So (laughs) It just didn't record. The second time our uncle started using yeah. a chainsaw in the room next to Jem, so we couldn't use any of her audio. <laughs> and then the third time we got it recorded, we got it done. It wasn't as good as the first two times, but we did it. And then Jem went away. She flew off to the other side of the world. And I came home from work one day and found out that a pipe had exploded in my building and my apartment's full of water (laughs) and everything I owned was ruined, (laughs) including my computer (laughs) with my microphone and the files for the episode. (laughs) So whatever, guys, like (laughs) everything in my life is a disaster. (laughs) You just, I'm sorry, you're just never going to get that episode. (laughs) It wasn't meant to be. (laughs) Sometimes everything goes wrong and you're unexpectedly homeless and you just can't focus on the podcast that you do for fun. That's just the way it is sometimes. 
<laughs> yes. But here we are back again to talk about a truly sunshine-filled topic about Harry's angst. <laughs> <laughs> Harry and the trauma he went through and why it affected him. Is that the name of the book? That's a book I could write. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so uh, just to clarify, when we say the Order of the Phoenix, we of course mean the fifth book and movie. Yeah, not when Harry joined the secret resistance group, the Order of the Phoenix, and suddenly developed a bad case of angst. Angsty Harry in the fifth book, it's a bit of a phenomenon. Um, mm-hmm. I don't remember it too well, but apparently when the fifth book came out, uh, a lot of readers were disgruntled at the fact that Harry had become what they were calling emo Harry. That, like, uh, his behavior had changed and he was more moody and snappy. And so it was a, a bit of a shock for a lot of readers. Do you remember that? Yes, I do. You got emo Harry, you got caps lock Harry, people called him, because so much of his dialogue was in all caps. I... I've got a real bone to pick with this. It upset me then right. and it upsets me now. <laughs> a lot of people just, they have mm. big problems with the way that Harry was written in this book. They say like it was out of character. Yeah. He was poorly written. He was like painful yeah. and exhausting to read. And while I can understand why people might feel that way, I just don't think it's correct. I think it, the way that Harry was written in this book was very purposeful and mm. Like, JK was really making a point, and I think that she was doing it very well. So, while I've got my beef with Caps Lock Harry, my beef is more with people who yeah. don't seem to understand or respect what was going on more than with Harry himself or the way JK yeah. wrote him. Yeah. I actually I have mixed emotions about Order of the Phoenix as a book because, like, for a long time, Order of the Phoenix is my least favorite book in the series. Yeah. And, like, I actually, I actually found it hard to read yeah, because, it's- like, because, yeah, Harry's character goes through so much and it's very difficult because Harry's my favourite character to see himself so upset all the time. Like, it actually makes me upset mm-hmm. <laughs> to read the book. Um, yeah. Mm-hmm. But then, like, actually, years later, now that I've, like, grown up a lot more, reading this book, it's one of my favourites in, ter- in terms of not just the Harry Potter books, but, like, of any <laughs> book ever because of just, like, the way that my position has changed about it and, like, the more that I just sort of relate to the book and see the book in a certain light. I'm going to get more into that later. I have a lot of um, hot takes on what Order of the Phoenix is about. I have some big opinions on this book. Um, actually, Order of the Phoenix, like up until sort of before the series ended, I always said that Order of the Phoenix was my favorite book because I loved the way that it felt like all of Hogwarts was uniting against a threat from within. Except for Slytherin. <laughs> Yeah, except Slytherin. <laughs> Mostly with like the Dumbledore's army storyline. I just, as like a young teenager, that really, really resonated with mm. me and I really loved it. But reading it again as an adult, yeah, I can definitely see the problems with the story and I can see why people don't enjoy it. But I think there is a lot there to enjoy and there's a lot there to unpack, which is what we're going to be doing now. All right, so shall we get into it? Okay. Okay, so what I thought I might do first is... um. Just sort yep. of go over a few points about what PTSD is, and then I would talk about Harry. Okay. Mm-hmm. So uh, for those of you who don't know, PTSD is post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm going to be arguing that this is what Harry was suffering from in the fifth book. There are a few things which can contribute to developing PTSD. And this is just for general information. So I've got here early life experiences, childhood trauma, or sexual abuse. Harry went through a lot of childhood trauma. Let's just tick that off the list. Second thing. Okay, hang on. 
Let's do a fun thing. Experiencing trauma over a long... Sorry. So if you say something that I think doesn't apply to Harry, I'll interrupt you. How about that? <laughs> okay. Okay, so yeah, first one, childhood trauma. <laughs> All right, second one. Experiencing trauma over a long period of time. Third one. Having a job that exposes you to repeated traumatic events. Hmm, yeah, no interruption. <laughs> I mean, technically it's not Harry's job, but he is just exposed to repeated traumatic events. As, as, a, ch as a teenager and a child, your education is your job. So going to school, that's, that's repeated trauma for Harry. Fourth one. Genetic factors. Genetic yeah, factors. Uh, yeah. Uh, being a half-blood because of his mother directly contributes to yes. the bullshit Harry has to go through. <laughs> so, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I think genetic factors by this is more meaning like having a history of mental illness in your family. Okay. Yeah, all right. Um, yeah, I'll cop that. I'll say that doesn't quite apply to Harry. But I don't know. Next one. Previous mental health issues, such as anxiety or depression. Uh, I'm going to say no. I... Yeah, I don't see any signs of mental health issues for Harry as a child. I do think he's been through a lot and those experiences have affected him, but I wouldn't characterize him as mentally ill in books one, two, three, and four. Yeah, I can I can appreciate that. I can I would um agree with someone that said mm -hmm. maybe Harry had sessions of like undiagnosed depressive episodes as a young child. I'd be like, yeah, I can I can accept that because like he went through a lot as a kid. And uh, he was neglected a lot, so I could I could understand why people might think that, but it's not really confirmed, and there's no hard evidence for me to like pinpoint that. Next one is brain chemistry. This is an interesting one, considering your position in this debate. <laughs> yeah, I, as I said, I'm of the opinion that Voldemort is literally inside Harry's brain, just messing with it. So <laughs> I'd say, yeah, his brain chemistry is a bit wrong in this book. Next one is your body's stress response. Like triggers, trauma, flashback, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. Well, Harry's definitely experiencing that in this book. Yeah. And last one's your support network. <laughs> it's just in tatters. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. So that's just things that can contribute to developing PTSD. A little bit more about um, how people respond to trauma specifically. So it's very natural once you've experienced mm -hmm. trauma to replay the event several times in order to process exactly what distressed you with that event. Um, it's normal to feel upset about mm -hmm. it for the first few weeks afterwards. So this can involve being very emotional, crying, feeling anxious, thinking a lot about what happened, having trouble sleeping and not eating or feeling scared, guilty or angry about what happened. But for some people, these feelings stay and affect their lives and they can develop uh, PTSD or ASD, which is acute stress disorder. Okay, so some of the symptoms of this, this is PTSD, some of the symptoms of it. Again, do you want to do another thing where if I say something that doesn't apply to Harry, you interrupt me? Yes. So here's some of the symptoms. Feeling fearful or panicked. Reliving the event. Being overly alert or wound up. This is a quote. The person experiences sleeping difficulties, irritability, and lack of concentration, becoming easily startled and constantly on the lookout for signs of danger. Literally all of those things apply to Harry. Okay. Avoiding reminders of the event. Fourth thing, feeling emotionally numb. Okay. I also have here a checklist. It asks questions and you answer yes or no. Okay. I'm going to answer yes or no. As Harry? Yes, as Harry. <laughs> I'm now Harry Potter, the boy who lived. I love Draco. What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, checklist. Have you experienced any of the following? 
Have you experienced something involving death, injury, torture, abuse, or felt scared or helpless? Yes, all of those. <laughs> Upsetting memories, flashbacks, or dreams of the event? Yes, I have been dreaming of the event every single night since it happened. This is Harry in the summer holidays. Uh-huh. Feeling physically or psychologically distressed when someone reminds you of the event? Yes, I lashed out and attacked my cousin because he provoked me by bringing up the trauma yeah. I experienced. Um, all right. Now, have you experienced at least two of the following? You have trouble remembering important parts of the event. No, I don't think so. You've had very negative beliefs about yourself, others, or the world. Yes, I think the world is going to end because Voldemort's back. <laughs> and also, I feel like the world is against me and no one's telling me anything and I'm scared and alone. Do you feel that you persistently blame yourself or others for what happened? Yes. Okay. Uh, do you feel that you persistently felt negative, angry, guilty, or ashamed? Yes, constantly, all the time, my entire life. <laughs> Uh, you feel less interested in doing things you used to enjoy. Yes. Harry, in the summer holidays in the fifth book, experiences long periods where he just lies in his bed, stares at the wall, and thinks about nothing. For hours and even days. Uh, do you feel cut off from others? Yes. Quite literally, I feel cut off from others. No one's talking to me. I'm completely isolated. And have you experienced at least two of the following? Sleeping difficulties. Yes. Acute sleeping difficulties. <laughs> Felt easily angered or irritated? Yes. Engaged in reckless, self-destructive behaviour? Yes. Had trouble concentrating? I think so. But I don't know, maybe Harry just generally has trouble concentrating, but I feel like in this book especially, he was often having difficulty in class and with his homework assignments. Um, felt on guard or vigilant? Yes, constant vigilance. And been easily startled? I don't know about easily startled. I, can I chip in here? Summer holidays, Harry's lying in the flower bed and he hears a bang, jumps up, hits his head, ready to fight because he thinks there's someone there. Mm -hmm. He's got his wand out. Yeah. 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 That counts as easily startled. And like notable is that he's ready to defend himself or fight immediately because he believes he's in danger just from hearing a loud noise. That is classic PTSD. Yeah. So if all of this has been happening for a month or more, you may be experiencing PTSD. So, okay, so that's just a bit about PTSD. I tried answering all of those questions just as Harry in the summer holidays, because that's when he's closest to the trauma that's just happened and when you can really, really clearly see all of those things. But honestly, most of them would apply all the way through the book and just compounding and mm -hmm. getting worse as Harry's situation gets worse and worse. Yeah. So I'm going to talk a bit about Harry and his behavior. So I'm just going to list a few times when he behaved in, in a way that I believe was reflective of his trauma at the time. Uh, so evidence that I've collected is jumping when he hears a noise in Privet Drive, attacking people who disagree or provoke him, because everyone's saying that he's a liar, he's often just snappy, like a Seamus and um, anyone that disagrees with him, basically. He lashes out at Ron and Hermione a lot more in this book as well, like both when they deserve it and when they don't. He feels cut off and ignored. He yells at his friends. He feels spiteful and moody all the time. Actual quote from the movie, I just feel angry all the time. Uh, his response to Umbridge's quill. I think this is a really interesting mm -hmm. like moment in the book because- Yeah, I want to I wanted to talk about this as well. So yeah, Umbridge makes him, basically tortures him by making him write out, I must not tell lies. 
and it embeds into his skin, blood quill. And Harry's response to this, when Ron and Hermione find out and they tell him to go to Dumbledore or McGonagall or some sort of authority figure, Harry's response to this is, no, they wouldn't care. Besides, I don't want to give Umbridge a satisfaction. And it feels like he's in some sort of mental battle with Umbridge that he can't cave into. And that is such a PTSD response to me. Yeah, it's... Yeah, like, he feels like that he has to deal with the problem by himself, that he can't reach out to others. And by the way, like, maybe he's correct in that assumption. I'm not sure that reaching out to others would have even helped in this situation. But the fact that, like, even he feels that he can't tell Ron and Hermione about it, that it's, like, a secret that he has to keep, that's that's such an abuse victim sort of mentality. I even thought, like, maybe it's bridging into the area of self-harm, the way that he has to write the line and then the quill carves into his hand. Like, I know this is a physical punishment, a yeah. physical torture that Umbridge is inflicting on him. But the fact that he goes back to the detention every mm-hmm. time, he doesn't tell anyone about it. He doesn't, I don't know, fight it, I want to say. Yeah. It, f- it feels sort of like a kind of self-inflicted wound. Yeah. Maybe not entirely consciously, but it did feel a bit like self-harm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like he's punishing himself. Yeah, I've never thought yeah. of it like that. That's interesting. Yeah. I also have here his anger at Dumbledore and his explosion in Dumbledore's office at the end of the book. Of course, this wasn't represented in the movie, but I think his explosion at Dumbledore at the end of the fifth book was such a vital moment in Harry's character development and in the series. I was quite disappointed in the movie when we just have the Harry and Dumbledore sit down and have a calm discussion. That felt like it wasn't right. Like Harry had to go through all that screaming and yelling and Dumbledore just sitting there and taking it because he knows he deserves it because he knows that he's at least partially at fault what Harry's been through this year. That catharsis that came from them both confronting each other and working through what happened, that was so important in the book and it was very annoying that it wasn't in the movie. It was so upsetting to read that scene because Dumbledore had always been this, from books one to four, Dumbledore had always been this figure of complete control, calm, serenity, assurance. It's the fact that in fifth book, Harry's position towards Dumbledore had changed completely because Dumbledore had become this distant figure. And so having the moment where Harry completely abandoned any sort of like fear of Dumbledore's authority and abandoned any sort of respect or admiration that he had for like his hero, basically, a father figure almost, and just like trashing his office, yelling at him, telling him that he doesn't care. That shook me. The last thing I have here is when Harry goes to save Sirius from the Ministry. That was completely impulsive, completely dangerous, putting himself and his friends at risk. So reckless. He didn't think it through clearly. Yeah. He was doing everything that he knew he shouldn't be doing, but did it anyway. Okay. I also have some quotes here that um, from just in the first chapter that I think are very expressive about mm-hmm. Harry. Every day of his summer had been the same, the tension, the expectation, the temporary relief, and then the mounting tension again. Mm-hmm. So he's constantly on edge. Then when the bang happens, mm-hmm. he jumps to attention and he's all panicked. And then it says, and then his feeling of frustration peaked, his certainty leaked yeah. away. Perhaps it hadn't been a meaningful sound after all. Harry felt a dull sinking sensation in his stomach. And before he knew it, the feeling of hopelessness that had plagued him all summer rolled over him once again. That is a classic response to trauma. You respond in a panic, panic situation. You're triggered by something. You respond in a panic. You start to feel frustrated and angry, but then you doubt yourself instantly. You're like, oh, wait, maybe what I was feeling wasn't actually valid. 
maybe I'm not actually in danger. I'm not actually worried. And then you just start to feel like depressed and awful with yourself. So that, that whole like chain of events really resonated with me as a clear example of Harry suffering from PTSD. So I just want to say that my like sort of hot take on Order of the Phoenix, uh, and I'm going to make a bold statement here, is that the Order of the Phoenix, well, the whole Harry Potter series itself is a reflection of this, but the Order of the Phoenix specifically to me reads as mm-hmm. a book specifically about suffering from trauma yeah. and healing from that trauma. To me, it's a very hopeful book. Um, it starts off in the worst place you can mm-hmm. be, which is like when you've just sort of started to develop this PTSD and then it ends in like such a better place than where it started. Like obviously Harry's not completely healed. Mm-hmm. He's um still like working through it, but he's got a much better support network. It literally ends where all of his friends and um the Order of the Phoenix confronts the Dursleys and says that they're going to be watching Harry throughout the summer and that, and that like they're going to make sure that Harry doesn't get mistreated or ignored and that they're going to keep in contact with him. And it's like, that's exactly what Harry needed to hear in chapter one. Um, and it's just sort of like a really nice arch there that mm-hmm. I, I think it's, it makes Order of the Phoenix quite a hopeful book. And I think this is reflective in JK Rowling herself. She's obviously a survivor of abuse. She's opened up before about her problems with depression and suicide in the mm-hmm. past. And so I think that her sort of issues were reflected very well in the characterization of Harry and in the message throughout this entire book. Yeah. Harry goes through so much in this book and it's very poignant of of like certain fears and anxieties that people who who are suffering from PTSD and people who have gone through trauma have about mm-hmm. their trauma. They don't want to look weak. So they don't want to like burden other people by telling them about their emotions and what they've been through. But they also need that sort of attention and support from other people in order to like help them through and to, in order to be recognized that they, they do need that help. And so it's that awkward balance between those two things. Um, he feels like the whole mm. world is against him and it literally is like the way that the whole, the media cycle works, the way that everyone at Hogwarts isolates him. When you're a person suffering from PTSD, the fear that the whole mm-hmm. world is against you is bad enough. But then when it actually is, that is like yeah. such a crazy part of the book. Yeah, I made a note that like Harry Harry seems to be like paranoid and obsessive and on edge and overly defensive, but actually is that over the top or is that an appropriate response to the situation that he is in where people the world is against him. People are out to get him. He is being targeted. Yeah. And then I just have here a few points of things that I find in the book that are just aggressively symbolic of going through PTSD and suffering from it and then healing the healing process. The first thing I'd like to point to the Thestrals, highly symbolic. The fact that only Harry and a select, select few others who have gone through something traumatic can see this creature and it's invisible to everyone else. So when you're suffering from PTSD, you feel like you're seeing the world in such a way that everyone else is just sort of oblivious and blind to. And so like the Thestrals was very poignant to me. Oh, and that's um, Voldemort is symbolic. Sorry, just on the Thestrals, that's so good as well because the Thestrals are so terrifying the first time Harry sees them. They look like monsters. So, like, he's seeing this this twisted, awful version of reality and everybody else at the time is just seeing, you know, the carriages being pulled along by themselves and it's harmless and normal and there's nothing to fear. So he thinks he's going crazy. Oh, but then, of course, 
yeah, the Thestrals turn out to be really gentle and they end up helping him. God, wow, that is such a good, sorry, I just, you've blown my mind with that. That was a really good point. Well done. <laughs> well, thank you. I, yeah, like I said, I have a lot of hot takes about this book. Second of all, I'd also like to point mm-hmm. to Voldemort as being a symbolic thing. I know you're going to talk more about Voldemort and his, and his yeah. presence in Harry's mind, but um, looking at it from a PTSD angle, Voldemort is symbolic of all the shit that Harry's gone through and his uh, presence in Harry's mind is just like reoccurring flashbacks and like having to overcome those constant barriers while you're healing. And then thirdly, the oculancy is hugely symbolic. Oculancy reads a lot like processes that therapists encourage you to do when you're going through trauma recovery of like um, control your emotions, look through your past and accept it, and then be in control of your memories and your emotions so that you can't be vulnerable to panic attacks or to flashbacks, which in this case, vulnerable to Voldemort. Uh, even like uh, Harry's homework, where before he goes to sleep each night, he's supposed to like do basically meditative exercises and calm his mind and calm his emotions. Yeah, because when you sleep, you're at your most weak. That's when his mind's defenses are down. That's when you can have nightmares and trauma and, oh, wow, that's, yeah, that's classic. And then I'd like to point to the characters of Luna and Dumbledore. I think someone said it before, maybe it was JK or maybe it was Ivana Lynch, that Luna and Dumbledore are the two characters which are the most accepting of death in the Harry Potter series. And so I always find that really fascinating. I'm pretty sure that was Ivana Lynch. Yeah, okay. So yeah, Ivana Lynch has said that um, she sees Luna and Dumbledore as the two characters Mm -hmm. which are most accepting of death in the series. And I think that's a really cool interpretation. And so I'm going to be comparing Luna's characterization to Dumbledore's in this book. Basically, Dumbledore and Luna have a special connection in which they're both characters which could have helped Harry in um, unique ways with, like, overcoming his experiences and being feeling more supportive and cared for. Whereas Dumbledore did the thing which unfortunately a lot of people can do in circumstances where someone they know is suffering, where they just avoid them because they don't know how to handle it. And they, they feel that they are not qualified to like um, support that person. But Luna did the opposite where she became Harry's friend and she uh, shared similar experiences to him and said that it was okay, that she's turned out fine. And that was sort of like, a little bit hopeful for Harry. It gave Harry a bit of hope that someone believed him and someone was just friendly and nice and a little bit weird, but just a person to look to. So I just really like that dichotomy. Yeah. I think it's important that she's a little bit weird as well, because like, obviously Harry's feeling a bit weird, not in the same sort of way, but Harry's feeling very different and very isolated. And now he sees Luna, who is very different from her peers, very isolated from her peers, but she's still happy and healthy and okay. And I think that, like, it's good that he sees her and is like, yeah, she's okay, so maybe I can be okay too. What you were saying about how Order of the Phoenix is all about overcoming trauma and realizing that it's okay and you think it's going to be a hopeful book, I, I've i realized that sort of that iconic line right at the end where Harry's last sort of interaction at Hogwarts itself is that conversation with Luna where she says, you know, the things we lose has a way of coming back to us in the end. And obviously she's talking about her possessions and Harry's reading that as a comment about Sirius Black and who he's lost. But I've just realized that honestly it could be true about anything. Like Harry's lost, you know, like in a way his mental health. He's lost like his safety and his sense of security, his friends, his family. And if you read that as like JK speaking to the audience, like it doesn't matter how 
awful things are right now, how much we're losing in the middle of this war, one day it's going to be over and all of those things are going to come back. We're going to have safety. We're going to have normality. We're going to have that, you know, white picket fence 2.5 children thing that she thinks everybody wants. (laughs) Wow. God, this book is so about healing. God. Yeah. I know. There's a lot of really curative quotes in this book. Like the one that Sirius says where it's like, um, the world isn't split to good people and death leaders. We have both light and dark inside of us. What matters is the path we choose to act upon. That one rings true with like in terms of trauma and like choosing because healing is a process. It doesn't stop. Every day you have to like constantly work on it and keep working on it. So that just really resonated with me. And then Dumbledore's quote of like, you do care. You feel so much that you feel like your heart will bleed out of you or something like that. When Harry was like yelling in his office and trashing his office and said he didn't care anymore, that he just wants it all to stop. And Dumbledore's like, no, you definitely do care. Like there's so many, so much of the language in this book can be read in such a way where it's talking about trauma and suffering and healing. And so, yeah, basically I've rambled on for like 40 minutes, but this is my (laughs) interpretation of The Order of the Phoenix as a book about recovery and as quite a hopeful book, really. Usually when we do these episodes, we do the debate episodes, we'll have like, you'll make an argument, I'll make an argument, we counter each other, blah, 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 blah. The reason why I haven't been doing that in this episode is because, honestly, I agree with everything that you've said. I think this book is about trauma. I think Harry definitely experienced trauma. He's experiencing PTSD, and I really love all the points you've made about it being about healing. What I want to just swoop in and make my argument at the end (laughs) is that, like I said, 100%, I agree it's all about trauma, but this is also a book about magic. And- I think you can read a magical explanation into this. So if Harry, if this was a book about, you know, Harry, the normal teenager goes to a normal high school and like he was kidnapped and tortured by a murderer, this would just be a story about PTSD. But because it is a magical story and there's more magical elements, I think you can also read this as like the reason Harry's experiencing this trauma and the reason why he's behaving the way he is, is because of this mental link that he's got with Voldemort. So I just want to talk about that. I feel like the reason I haven't been arguing with you is because like both of our interpretations complement each other and they're equally valid. And there's no point me being like, you're wrong. He's not experiencing trauma. Instead, he's experiencing being a Horcrux. They're both correct. Mm, Yeah. Like they're both right. Like obviously he is still experiencing being a Horcrux, but I'm sort of reading that as symbolic of experiencing issues. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I'm trying to say. Thank you. The word symbolic was what I was struggling for. Yeah. <laughs> yes, I'm, I think that Voldemort being inside yeah. Harry's brain is symbolic of trauma being inside Harry's brain. So I think like the clearest and most obvious way to explain why Harry is feeling so differently than he feels in other books and why he's behaving so differently than he behaves in other book, books is because for the first time in his life, Voldemort is back in his body, he's at full strength, and his mind is inside of Harry's mind. Throughout the series, we've seen that Harry and Voldemort are connected. Harry, his scar hurts when Voldemort's near. In the early books, he was seeing visions of what Voldemort was seeing when Voldemort was experiencing something particularly (laughs) plot-relevant. But now we're experiencing 24 24 hours a day, this is suddenly happening. and it's so clear to me how this is influencing Harry. Like it's literally spelled out point by point in the text that this is what's happening. But for some reason, when people read the book, they Mm -hmm. just 
don't see it. <laughs> They're like, no, this is normal. <laughs> it's perfectly normal for Harry to be screaming, or it's perfectly out of character for Harry to be screaming at his friends, and there's no rational explanation for it. Harry is being influenced by emotions that are not his own and that are subconsciously bleeding into his head from Voldemort. I think that's the only way to explain what's happening to him. Yeah. And, like, it's literally a plot point in the book. <laughs> Harry dreams what Voldemort dreams, and in the book this is obvious that it's happening occasionally. Like, there's the big dramatic moments, <laughs> most notably when Harry dreams that he is inside of the snake that Voldemort is possessing and he attacks Mr. Weasley. And that was a real thing that really happened. And it's what triggers his whole, oh, I think Voldemort's possessing me. And then Ginny's like, no, he's not possessing you after he has his depressive episode for a couple of days. Mm. And he's like, oh, it's fine then. (laughs) (laughs) This book, fucking hell. (laughs) And yeah, it's what starts the occlumency lessons and all of that sort of stuff. But the thing is, like, he's not just dreaming what Voldemort dreams in these big dramatic moments. He's dreaming what Voldemort dreams every single night. Voldemort is dreaming of the corridor leading to the Department of Mysteries. And Harry mistakes that as his own dream. He thinks it's some kind of stress-related thing, maybe to do with exams. Like, the feeling that he's running towards something, but he never gets there and he doesn't even know what his goal is. Mm -hmm. And even later... He makes the mistake of being like, oh, maybe these dreams are coming from somewhere and I should try and figure them out. But then he has Mm. an occlumency lesson Mm. with Snape where he, because during those lessons, he relives all of his bad memories. Well done, Snape. He has a moment where he relives the memory of running through the ministry and realizes, oh, the the corridor is leading to the Department of Mystery. It's a real place. And then he feels those dreams are validating. But... I just want to say that, like, we 100% know that they are coming from Voldemort and that they're influencing Harry before he's aware that it's happening. Because when you go right back to the beginning of the series, during the summer holidays, Harry's talking about how he has Mm. nightmares about Cedric and the graveyard every night and also nightmares of running along a corridor and never getting anywhere. So it's happening to him right from the beginning of the year, every single day. Yeah. I'm going to make a point, but I'm building up to it. (laughs) So Harry dreams what Voldemort dreams, but he also feels what Voldemort feels. And we're told that this only happens when Voldemort is feeling an extreme emotion. So again, there's a couple of notable instances when Voldemort is extremely angry and Harry becomes so angry that he like just can't cope with it or extremely happy. Like there's one time where someone Mm. dies or someone, something happens Mm. and Voldemort is like, overwhelmed with joy and harry just starts laughing like he is on the ground like shrieking with laughter and vold not Voldemort, ron is there and ron thinks he's having some kind of fit and he smacks him across the face and harry's just lying on the ground and hearing this laughter and not even recognizing that it comes from his own body like he's filled with voldemort's emotion he can't actually process what's happening to him he can't separate it from his own experience and book says this only happens in extreme circumstances. I don't think so. Yeah, if fine. all of Voldemort's dreams are bleeding into Harry's dreams, why aren't all of Voldemort's yeah. emotions bleeding into Harry's emotions? I just think that makes mm-hmm. sense, right? Like, especially that it's happening all the time. He can't recognize when it's happening. He can't stop it from happening. You know, if he's open to the big stuff, why not open to the mm-hmm. little stuff as well? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Would that explain why Harry's, for the most part, feeling like 
85% irritable and angry, and then 15% numb. Is that just Voldemort's like emotional range for the most part? Yeah, he's also feeling like a lot of paranoia. Well, especially after he's just gotten his body back, he would be paranoid about losing all that strength he's just regained. And uh, yeah, there's lots of anger, but there's also a lot of like outright hatred and paranoia and fear yeah. as well, which I feel like is most of what Voldemort's experiencing on an everyday life, during his everyday life. I recently reread the book, the fifth book, and I read it with the idea that every time Harry is experiencing an intensely negative emotion, which yeah. is disproportionate to the situation that he's in, mm. read it as if it's coming from Voldemort and it makes sense every single time, especially in the earlier parts of the book. But throughout the book, every time someone mentions Dumbledore, Harry is filled with this rage. Like he's so angry and he hates Dumbledore. Why would he feel that intensely about Dumbledore? Especially right at the beginning. Like Dumbledore hasn't spoken to him. I can understand why he'd be angry and upset, but just the depth of rage, it doesn't feel rational. Yeah. But if you assume that that's what Voldemort's feeling mm. and that's the way that Voldemort canonically feels towards Dumbledore, it just makes sense. And yeah, yeah, obviously it gets worse the longer it goes on because the longer Voldemort his body, the stronger he becomes yeah. and the stronger his link with Harry becomes. And the more that <laughs> Harry's in these occlumency lessons that are just going so terribly, like the weaker his defenses become, it's all a big mess. I think like of the explanations, wow. this one makes the most sense because I sort of touched on this earlier, but Harry from books one to four has gone through a lot of trauma, like, you know, <laughs> facing Voldemort multiple times, mm. being attacked by a dragon, like the various things he's gone through. But we've never seen him mm. re really react to it like this before. Like he's been rattled by things before and he's been through hard times before, but it's never been so all-encompassing mm. that he can't escape from it and it just goes on and on and on for months at a time. I feel like it makes sense that that's Voldemort bleeding into him. Yeah, I can accept that. That That is a good explanation. Mm -hmm. I'd also like to point to um, the reason why I think this might have been a turning point, yeah. not just in terms of Voldemort possessing him, and that's why he feels so bad, but mm -hmm. it might have been a turning point in Harry's experience of trauma, and this is why he's sort of gained these behaviorisms and, and like started suffering more from PTSD, um, is because the end of the fourth book, so like obviously years one to three, um, he did go through a lot of stuff, and he did go through a lot of hard times. But you're right, he didn't react the same way as he did in the beginning of the fifth book. But I think there's a strong reason for that. And the reason is, fourth book, he had to go through the Triwizard Tournament when he was forced into it. So that's a lot to deal with already. But then in the final task, he finds out that for a year he'd been set up. There'd been someone in the school who was like, kind of like Quirrell was setting him up, but like this was more pernicious. He was part of this ritual, which he just did not, did not want anything to do with, had not expected. He he felt he might have felt that he was responsible for bringing Voldemort back because it was his blood that needed to be part of the ritual. He witnessed the death of Cedric, who he just couldn't save. He never witnessed a death before, and then he had to bring the blood back to his father. That's a lot. And then after all of that trauma and going through fighting Voldemort, seeing his parents, nearly feeling that he was going to die, definitely he was brought back to the school and whisked away. And then almost killed again by the person who'd been responsible for putting him in that position. And so 
Yeah, immediately back in the same situation and being confronted with the betrayal of someone that he trusted and someone who had a position of authority and was supposed to be protecting him. You, oh, you're making me realize so much stuff before. I never realized that fourth book is where you can really pin down Harry losing his agency because the fact that he was put in the Triwizard Tournament against his will and he had no choice but to compete, everything that he'd faced up until that point was always like of his own direction. Like when he and his friends decide to go hunting for the Philosopher's Stone, like nothing's forcing them to. Obviously, like circumstance, responsibility, blah, blah, blah. But nothing is actually forcing them to investigate the Philosopher's Stone. Nothing is forcing them to investigate the Chamber of Secrets and figure out who the heir of Slytherin is. Harry's implicated in that situation, but he could just easily leave it to teachers and be like, well, I'm not guilty and it's your problem to solve it, Dumbledore, not my problem. He could just leave it alone. He doesn't need to investigate Sirius. Sirius Black is after him, but he can just stay safe and wait. But he doesn't. He chooses to go after it. But the fourth book is where he doesn't have a choice. Yeah. So it's immediately like, oh, I've gone through all this trauma and now I'm back at Hogwarts. I'm finally safe. But then all of that trust and safety dissipates again instantly because someone that he thought that he knew was setting him up the whole time and was a danger and tried to kill him again. So like- it's sort of a double threat in, in one, and it's two big ones at the same time. And then the fact that after all of that, he's isolated completely. So I think that those factors are big enough of a turning point to like really develop and bring out his PTSD. And so it's not just the fact that Voldemort has returned to physical form. Mm, that's such a good point. And it all being a trap all along. Yeah, that would so mess you up. Anyway, so... <laughs> You made a point against me, but it's a good point. So, yeah, I guess you're right. And then in fifth book, he learns about this prophecy, right? Another thing that he can't control and he's been forced into, where now he realizes he's going to have to be a murderer. Otherwise, Voldemort will just murder him and then rule the world. And it's like, wow, that's a lot of pressure <laughs> on an anxious boy. Yeah. Suddenly, destiny is coming into play. God, these books are so deep. <laughs> so that's most of my argument for Voldemort. I do, yeah. I have one more thing that I want to address and warning listeners, we're about to get heavy again. <laughs> so I really like the PTSD explanation of Harry's behavior and I really like the Voldemort explanation of Harry's behavior. The explanation that a lot of people push and that I absolutely don't mm. like is that it's just perfectly normal for Harry to be feeling this way. The better version of this is where you look at everything that Harry's going through this year, which is a lot of shit. Like I can list it all, but we've been talking about it the whole time. This is <laughs> this is just a lot that he's going through. I mean, more like the physical circumstances as well. Just the fact that like Dumbledore's, not Dumbledore's bullying him. Umbridge is bullying him. Yeah. Oh, you've got them there. He got attacked by a Dementor, nearly expelled, discovery of the media and public perceptions of him, Umbridge, Owls, Dumbledore ignoring him, banned from Quidditch, Oculancy, Girl Troubles, Arthur Weasley, Battle at the Ministry, Series' death. Stress from exams. <laughs> That's another one I had. Yeah. He's going through a lot this year. And yeah, you could say, yeah, it's normal that he's angry, yeah. he feels trapped, yeah. he feels isolated, he feels that, yeah, <laughs> I can sort of accept... Yeah, okay, there's no mental health issue, there's no Voldemort issue, it's just normal that he feels this way. That doesn't bother me. What really, really bothers me is when people are like, oh, he's just going through puberty. <laughs> Harry's just a teenage boy, and it's perfectly normal for teenage boys to feel completely consumed by rage 100% of the time, to lash out violently at their friends, <laughs> to isolate themselves. Right. Mm. <laughs> 
that is just none of those pace. things are normal. The number I did, I did some research for this episode, <laughs> and it was always about fifty-fifty of people saying, "Yeah, PTSD or Voldemort," and the other percent just saying, "No, it's just normal." JK really didn't write it very well, but it's perfectly normal everything Harry's feeling. That is one of the most toxic sentiments I've ever seen. It's so damaging to think that way. Like, it's upsetting and enraging. I want to go on a bit of a personal anecdote. <laughs> so I was 10 years old when Order of the Phoenix came out. And I read this book, and obviously Harry's very angry in this book, and I was 10, and I'm like, why is this happening? So I went to mum and dad and I was like, Harry's really angry. I don't understand why. And they literally sat me down and they're like, well, he's a teenage mm. boy. It's normal for teenagers to feel really angry, especially for boys. And I remember walking away from that conversation, like in their defense, they hadn't actually read the book yet <laughs> because I was the fastest reader in the family. So I had read the book and they didn't know what they were talking about. <laughs> so in, de in defense of mum and dad. <laughs> They had no idea. But I walked away from yeah. that as a 10-year-old. And, like, to the fact that it just – I still remember it so clearly 14 years later. <laughs> because, like, the situation was – obviously, Harry is a character in a book. He's not real. But mm -hmm. at, at the age of 10, he felt very real to me. And he felt like one of my friends. So I'd noticed one of my friends behaving very strangely, behaving in a very – destructive manner and yeah, lashing wow. out. And I tried to report it to an adult and I'd just been utterly dismissed and just been like, totally normal. Don't even worry about it. Don't even stress. <laughs> That's not okay. This is a book. This isn't real. But if you are ever in a situation yeah. where this, these sort of things are happening to a real person where you notice right. someone who's going through real genuine troubles and he's behaving in a way that's very concerning to you don't just dismiss it don't let other people dismiss it this is why mental health is such like a big problem oh, in our society right. because we just don't that's listen right. yeah that's the point i wanted to make at the end of this episode right that's a good point and i'd like to make a point at the end of this episode too um so throughout this episode i've been listing a lot of things about ptsd symptoms and what develops PTSD and ASD. And if you've been listening to this and sort of relating to a lot of what I've been saying, first of all, know that you're not alone and that there are resources out there and that you can get help. Obviously, it can be kind of shocking to hear all these things listed out and go, wow, that's me, but that's okay. Yeah. Yeah. If this is something that's affecting you or maybe <laughs> affecting someone that you know, Definitely yeah. feel like you can reach out for help. You can seek support from friends and loved ones and from professionals if you feel like that's appropriate for you. That's kind of the point that I wanted to make with this episode. <laughs> and I'm glad that we've gotten there in the end. Yeah. So um, thanks, listeners. I've been Jem. You're convinced that Harry should have gone to therapy host. <laughs> I've been Rhea. You're convinced that Harry was possessed yeah. host. <laughs> We love you. We love you all. Goodbye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Podcast Nine and Three Quarters. This show is written and edited by Ria and Jem. You can send us an email at nine and three quarters podcast at gmail.com or talk to us separately. Me on our Tumblr page, podcast nine and three quarters dot and Ria is on Twitter at Smash Ria. 
Please feel free to send theories or ask questions and bombard us with so many messages that we go mad and run away to a hut on a rock in the middle of the sea just to avoid them. Our logo art is by Winged Corgi. Find more of her art at wingedcorgi.tumblr.com. This week's intro music was Darkness Takes Over by Nicholas Hooper, and our outro music was Hedwig's Theme by John Williams. You'll hear from us again in two weeks' time. Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. 